Our scripture for today comes from the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 5, chapter 2, verse 2, excuse me, Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is of old from ancient days. And then from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, visit us during this time of Advent. Prepare us for your arrival. Teach us who you are. Give us the courage to follow. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. God made a promise to Israel. I will establish the throne of David's kingdom forever. What a huge promise for Israel. I mean, David is the archetypical king. He is the model. He is the standard by which every other ruler in Israel is judged. Uh, it was under David's kingship that Israel reached its greatest size. Their boundaries extended further than at any other time in history. Uh, it was under David's rulership that Israel was more powerful than ever. Foreign kings came and bowed at David's feet. Foreign nations paid tribute to Israel. Uh, under David's reign, according to the Bible, Israel was up in the superpower status, their greatest period in all of their history. Now, to be fair, David had his problems. He had his moral failings, and we are more than aware of those. And yet he stayed in love with God. And God made this promise through the prophet Nathan to David that he would establish the throne of David's kingdom forever. This, super, uh, this superpower status, this prosperity was, was God's unconditional promise for Israel forever. Uh, even today, David remains one of the central figures of, uh, of Judaism. If you travel to Israel, you'll discover that one of the holiest sites in the entire country is David's tomb. He was that kind of pivotal figure. And Israel staked their entire identity as a nation on this promise that God made to David and to the country. That uh, they were, uh, they, they couldn't be conquered. That David's kingdom would go on with no end. That that prosperity, that, that peace, that that power would last forever as David's descendants forever reign over Israel. Man, Israel felt invincible because of that promise. They put all of their hope in the promise that God made to them. That hope, though, came crashing down in the year 586 B.C. They had some tough times, but this was the absolute bottom. King Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylonia invaded Judah. They came to Jerusalem. They held Jerusalem under siege and eventually it fell. Uh, Babylon tore down the walls of the holy city. They invaded 
They killed many of the inhabitants, captured many of the others. They went to the very house of God, the temple. It's a temple that Solomon had built as a home for God on earth. And this pagan king tore down the temple, tore down the house of God. How in the world could God allow a pagan king to tear down his house? It was devastating to the people of Judah. Their very best and brightest were carried away into captivity back in Babylon. We find that they sat by the waters of Babylon and they mourned. They grieved over what they lost in their homeland, in the holy city, in the temple. They grieved what they feared that they lost in God. Their, not only their country, but their entire religion seemed to vanish right before their eyes. In Psalm 137, we get an image of these, uh, of these people that are captives in Babylonia. Uh, these are people who had been in Jerusalem and were there when Nebuchadnezzar uh, came in and conquered everything and took them away. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked us for mirth, saying, Sing us some of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, Tear it down, tear it down. O daughter of Babylon, you devastator, how happy shall be those who pay you back what you have done to us. How happy shall be those who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. What horrible pain. What horrible pain you hear in the psalmist who has lost his homeland, lost the temple, and is now a captive in this foreign land, wishing for Jerusalem to return, wishing for retribution against the Babylonians. What about that promise, God? You promised us that David's throne would last forever. God, were, were you wrong? God, were you wrong when you made that promise? Or, or surely not, now surely Marduk, the God of the Babylonians, is not stronger than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Surely Marduk has not defeated our God. Or did God lie to us? While they're in Babylon, these faithful Jews experienced a crisis of faith like they'd never known before. All seemed to be lost. But even there, even in captivity, they clung to the words of the prophets. Uh, the prophets had promised them a Messiah. A Messiah would come and make things right again. Now, the word Messiah in the Hebrew language is translated as anointed one. Uh, anointed one. It was used to refer to kings because prophets anointed kings uh, as kings. Uh, it's a practice that's still used in places around the world today where the church would anoint rulers as king. So 
King David was a Messiah. He was an anointed one. Solomon was a Messiah. He was an anointed one. Uh, the Greek translation, the Greek word for the word Messiah is Christ. Still means the same thing. It's just translated into Greek and it's the word we're so familiar with for Christ, for, for Jesus. So these, these Jews that are in captivity begin to hope for and dream about and long for a Messiah, a Christ, a King who will come and restore Israel. Their whole hope is wrapped up in the idea that this Messiah is coming to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, the house of God, and to reestablish Israel as the kind of power they were under David, to bring back the military might, to bring back the peace, to bring back the prosperity. They fixed all of their hope on a Messiah that would look a whole lot like they remembered King David looking. That's what they were hoping for. For 600 years almost, they were hoping for that kind of Messiah. It's no wonder they missed it. The long-awaited Messiah finally came. He showed up as a tiny baby in a tiny village called Bethlehem. And he showed up with, without a whole lot of pomp and circumstance. And he didn't match their expectations. This Jesus that grew up in Nazareth this Jesus that started his ministry after being baptized by John in the Jordan, this Jesus didn't look a whole lot like the Messiah that the last several centuries had been promising. There was no military might. He didn't gather an army. He didn't stockpile an arsenal of weapons. Uh, he was no economic genius. He didn't restructure the economy of, uh, of Israel so that everyone was wealthy. He was not able to provide peace over against the invading presence of Rome. He, he couldn't do anything. He didn't do any of the things that the king was supposed to do. Instead, he was off as an itinerant preacher roaming the hills and countryside of Israel, hanging out with the outcast and talking about a kingdom nobody could see. This was absolutely not the Messiah that the religious experts expected. This is not the Christ that they had been praying for. And so they rejected him. They turned him away. Christ came to his own and his own received him not because he wasn't what they wanted. I wonder, are we that much different from first century Jews? Are we really? Even with all the stories, are we much different from the first century religious leaders? I wonder if we bring our expectations to our understanding of the Messiah. I wonder if we expect the Messiah to come the way we want him to appear. Uh, of course he's going to be Democrat, unless maybe he's Republican. Uh, a whole lot of folks are absolutely sure that he's pro-life, but then there are just as many that are absolutely convinced that he's pro-choice. Of course he will want to cut our taxes, unless he wants to raise them so that we can provide better for the poor. Certainly he will get behind our military, right? Unless he turns out to be a pacifist. 
You say, I've heard all of those ideas thrown around about Jesus. I've heard well-meaning church folks ascribe all of those beliefs to Christ. I wonder if we are not prone to recreate Christ in our own image. I wonder if we don't fashion for ourselves a Christ who shares our opinions and our beliefs and our values and our political stances. I wonder if we don't work very much like these first century Jews to determine our own job description for the Christ and wait for that Messiah to show up. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that if we recreate Jesus in our image, we might be prone to miss him when he shows up. So this is Advent, a great time for us to remember what the coming Messiah looks like. I want to invite all of us to a very special time during Advent. This is a season of expectancy. We are expecting the arrival of the Christ child in the manger, but we're also expecting that Christ would show up every day in our everyday ordinary experiences. That we would meet Christ in the, in the grocery store or out while we're getting our exercise. We hope that we would experience Christ day by day if we don't miss it. And so to help us recognize who Jesus really is, I want to invite us during this season to a discipline, a discipline of becoming more aware of the Christ among us. First, let's start as best we can, and this is going to be really hard, but as best we can, let's try to set aside our preconceived notions of who Jesus is. Now, I, I know, I know some of your ideas are right, and that's okay. We can pick those back up later. The, the good ideas that we have, we can always pick back up. But for now, for now, let's set aside everything we think we know about Christ. And then I want to invite us to dive into the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, especially read the red letters. Read the words that are attributed to Christ himself. As much as we can, try to read those words as if we're reading them for the first time. Let them speak to us. Let them say to us exactly what they appear to say. Some of it will be alarming. A lot of it will be challenging. Some of it will be downright scary. But don't make excuses. Jesus upset a lot of people back in the day. He's still doing it today. Let's dig in and read the red letters. Let's listen to the gospel writers as they tell us who Jesus is. Listen to the gospel writers who walk with him, rather than to the noise of the 21st century. Let them tell us about Jesus. Can we do that during this season? Set aside our own expectations of Christ and Explore what the scriptures say and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to us who Christ really is. Now, to be certain, I don't think any of us will get a perfect picture uh, by the time Christmas arrives. In fact, I don't think we'll have a perfect picture after lots of Christmases. But isn't it worth the effort? Jesus is Lord of the universe. 
Isn't it worth the effort to get to know him better? Will you try that with me? Let's explore. God, send your Holy Spirit to reveal to us who the Christ really is. And God, give us the courage to follow Jesus as the ruler he came to be. I do look forward to sharing this Advent season with you at any time as we explore who Jesus is and how he comes among us. I want to invite you to join the conversation. We want to connect you with our church family here at Forest Lake. I want to give you the opportunity to explore further the things that we're talking about. My email address is on the screen. I encourage you to reach out to me. Send me an email. Let's continue the conversation online. And who knows, maybe you'll teach me something. Maybe together we'll learn more about what it looks like to follow Christ. I look forward to those conversations. Amen.